1 Corinthians 15, and we'll begin down in verse 35. Paul says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And you can be seated. So for the past month or six weeks or so, we've been talking about the resurrection of the dead. And specifically, we focused on all people will be raised from the dead. Those who are in Christ will be raised into glory. Those who are not in Christ will be raised into everlasting torment in the lake of fire forever. In the the chapter in 1 Corinthians here, we sort of reach a transition point where Paul kind of changes gears just a little bit. Instead of talking about the reality of the future resurrection and that it actually will happen, he starts to talk about what our resurrected bodies will be like and why that's even important. Why, why should we care? So when we're talking about the Lord Jesus returning in glory, we often talk about that we will be raised from the dead and our bodies will be glorified. What does that mean when we say glorified? What, 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 are we, what are we talking about? We often say things, even, even Christian things, biblical things, um, but we don't have a, an underpinning of what that means. What does it mean that we will be glorified? And, and I think that we'll get to that in a little bit. Is it just that we are shiny and bright like a light bulb? Is that the idea? Or is there more to it than that? And I think we'll, we'll get to that in just a little bit. But here's why that matters. When Adam ate the fruit in the garden and fell... And, and collapsed all of humanity into sin, several things happened. First of all, it affected the earth, the, just, just the planet. Now bears thorns and thistles, and there's death and, and decay all over the place. Romans chapter 8 talks about how just even nature is longing for the revealing of the sons of God, because even nature longs to be redeemed. It also affected our souls, of course. Now... When someone dies, the death that takes its toll, when someone dies, their soul either goes to heaven or to hell based on their faith in Christ. But it also affected our bodies. 
our physical bodies were affected in the fall. And we'll see that in just a few minutes too. And so this doctrine of the future resurrection and future glorification of all believers is important to us. And, and here's just the big picture takeaway is that, that Christ who saved your soul will also one day save your body. He will redeem and glorify your body as well. And this is actually good news. It's good news for us. And I just want to take a few minutes to, to talk about our bodies a little bit, just a little bit of a biblical theology of our bodies, because I think it sets the stage for why this doctrine of the physical resurrection of our bodies is not only important just because God says so, but because it should give us hope with our bodies as well. Let me just start this way, saying I, I know very few people who do not struggle with their physical body in some way. I know very, very few people who are like that. Um, let, me, let me just make you wise as to what's going on in our own congregation. I won't name names. Uh, I'm not going to violate any HIPAA laws here, okay? And if you think I'm talking about you, I'm probably talking about five of you, okay? So maybe you know that, maybe you don't, but it's helpful to understand all of us, you guys, are struggling, I think, with some sort of body ailment. I think maybe there's like two of you who aren't. And you will. So, so let me just, let me, I just wrote down a big long list. Some of your bodies are chronically sick and you don't know why. You've gone to doctors, all kinds of doctors. There's no diagnosis. There's only pain and there's only difficulty. Some of you guys deal with headaches chronically, migraines chronically, intestinal issues, heart issues, breathing issues. Some of you struggle with infertility. Some of you struggle with hormonal issues, eye problems, skin problems, weight problems, sensitivity issues. Some of you guys struggle with intimacy in marriage for a variety of reasons, physically speaking. There are food allergies, pollen allergies, chronic fatigue, nerve issues, cancer. There's sexually transmitted diseases, nightmares unexplained growths and different things in your bodies, back issues, insomnia. Maybe you have issues with your memory. Maybe you have issues with cognitive function, and, and you just you, you want to try and figure things out, but you can't. That, that's just, that was just like three minutes of jotting down some things. And there are a whole host of other issues that people deal with as well. And, and I just want to say that if Jesus were here on earth right now, you know what we'd probably all do? We'd probably all go to him and beg him out of his mercy for some sort of healing. And you know what Jesus would probably do if he were on earth right now? He would probably stay up all night long laying his hands on us, praying with us, and healing us. Because that's what we see in the Gospels. Our Lord is merciful, and he is kind, and he has compassion on our broken bodies. Which means, you guys, it is right, right now to pray for healing of our physical bodies. That's okay. That's not unspiritual. That's one of the main activities that Jesus did when he roamed around planet Earth. And it's what Jesus will accomplish in the resurrection when we have brand new glorified bodies for all of eternity. Bodies without sin or sickness or sorrow or pain. So we have, we have issues with our bodies objectively. They are broken they are, they are breaking down. They are sick. But we also have problems with our bodies subjectively. And what I mean by that is how we perceive our bodies. 
and how we perceive other people's bodies. Sometimes that is tainted by sin, not even sometimes, all the time that is their perception is tainted by sin. I don't know that I know anybody who is actually just straight up satisfied with their body. They're just, they're just happy with the body they have. I think everybody I know wishes they were better looking or wishes they were thinner or more muscular or they had more hair or his build or maybe, maybe they were taller like that person or maybe well, not quite that tall. They wish they were smarter. They didn't have that mark or that line or that feature or those wrinkles. So not only are our bodies objectively broken by the fall, subjectively, how we perceive bodies, our bodies and other people's bodies, is broken by the fall as well. We covet other people's bodies or their features. That's why when you check out at Yolks and you see all the like perfectly airbrushed people on there, why? Because they want you to buy their dumb magazine. It's because we're coveting their bodies. How can you get the perfect abs or whatever? We're not content with our own. And I say this, you guys, as someone who struggles with these things, too. I was, I was always the small kid growing up. I'm still small. I had the worst acne in high school. Finally get rid of the acne and all my hair falls out. <laughs> and then I start getting these random spots on my face. Those stop happening. I still have them. And then I have, like, intestinal problems for half a decade. And I'm sure I'll get something else, too. We all have these things, you guys. We all struggle in this area. 1 Corinthians 10.13, we know it. No temptation has overtaken us that is not what? Common to man. These things are all common. This, this is what our whole congregation, this is what every single person struggles with. If you struggle with your body, know that basically everyone else struggles with their body as well. One way or another. Turn over to Genesis 1 for just a minute. Just, just a little bit of a, like I said, a little bit of a biblical theology of, of the human body. In Genesis 1, we have the creation of man and woman by God. This is, this is really fundamental to our understanding of the body. But I want to just point out a couple of things that are specific to the issue at hand. So in Genesis 1, verses 26 through 27... Moses writes, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, so we could say so many things here, but I, but I just want to point out one thing is that God sovereignly created the bodies of Adam and Eve. What they looked like, their skin color, their eyes, their shoe size, their hair, their internal organs, every aspect about them, God created. And he did so on purpose for a reason, for his glory. And we could say the exact same thing about us in our bodies. That God created us on purpose for his glory. Jeremiah 1.5. We usually talk about this in the pro-life discussion, but here we need to understand it for us. God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
What did he do to us in the womb? He formed us. He formed you. He formed me. He formed every single one of us. He formed your DNA. He formed your height, your eyes, your curves, your muscular structures, your mental capacities. You are exactly physically who God wants you to be. Can you change some things through like diet and exercise? And it, yes, you can change some of those things. But many of those things you cannot change because God has formed you exactly the way he wants you for your good and for his glory. You are physically who God wants you to be. God made you male on purpose or he made you female on purpose. He gave you the anatomy you have for a reason. He made you tall. He made you short. All of the features God did on purpose for his glory. We see in Genesis chapter 2, if you want to just turn a page over there. Verses 15 through 17, we see why God made humanity. Why did he make Adam and Eve? Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You know why God created humanity? It was to work and to have dominion over all of creation. We see that here, and we saw that back in chapter 1. Working and toiling was designed by God before the fall. It's a good thing. It's something that God actually requires. Even in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says that if any man is not willing to work, not necessarily able to work, but not willing to work, let him not what? Eat. You don't work, you don't eat. It's a fundamental principle of the Bible. But God has made our specific bodies for labor, to labor for his glory. The primary purpose of our bodies is not even marriage. It's not sexual pleasure. It's not even necessarily to have kids. Those are part of it. But the bodies he has given us, we enjoy some of those things for a season. But think about this. In all eternity, those realities don't exist. There's no marriage in heaven. There's no having children in heaven. There's no sexual intimacy in heaven. Our bodies are not primarily for that purpose. It is primarily for accomplishing what God has designed us to do, which is to labor for his glory and to have dominion. Now, God did also create the marriage covenant to be the one place where our bodies can be on full display to someone else, our spouse, and there is no shame. Look at the end of chapter 2. Verse 24, Moses says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's significant. That's very interesting. Marriage creates a bond of trust between a man and a woman. The husband and wife now have a covenantal union that solidifies that solidifies their relationship, listen, into their physical bodies. They're now one body together, and they can look at one another in full nakedness, not ashamed. 
It's interesting. I mean, you think about like, like any other situation where people are naked and it's shameful. Like, like you go to Europe and they have all these nude beaches and you're like, that's just one big shameful scene. Why, why would you even, why would you even do that? In, in war, when people want to humiliate the enemy, they'll take them captive. They'll strip them down naked and parade them through the streets. Why? It's a shaming exercise. We should be covered. And only in the covenant of marriage is that uncovering allowed. There's also a part where it feels wrong just because our bodies are flawed and our perception of our bodies are flawed. But again, marriage is that one place where God designed, where we can stand naked before our husband or before our wife and be unashamed knowing that we're bound together in covenant. This is about our bodies. God has a specific design for our bodies. Look over in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. So, of course, Adam and Eve, they do take of the fruit that they shouldn't. They sin. They fall. And this is part of the, the list of cursings that God gives. Chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I command you, you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. What did he curse them with? Pain. What does pain affect? It affects our bodies. Sin enters in and the curse goes right to the body. You will have pain. And then you will die. Adam is now going to sweat because the land is cursed. And one day he's going to turn into the very land he's going to toil. I mean, literally, that's what's going to happen. He's toiling up and down. He's plowing this dirt. And as he looks at the dirt, he goes, one day I will be that dirt. That is the result of the fall. My body will go back into that very dirt that I am plowing. And his body get, begins to break down, just like our bodies break down. And the, the Bible has a long history of people whose bodies break down. You only have to turn a few pages to where you see Abraham is impotent and Sarah is barren. Their bodies are breaking down. Timothy has chronic stomach ailments. Solomon recognizes that old people get gray hair and that beauty, while nice, is fleeting. One day it's gone. King Saul was the model man in Israel, and David was the runt of the litter. Which one do we look to? We look to David. We look to the runt. Jesus healed leprosy, blindness, chronic bleeding, scoliosis. Your physical body has ailments because of the effect of sin in the world. This is just a reality that we live with. Part of that reality is that sin is not just a spiritual state, but it is a physical state as well. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that the outer man is wasting away. That's just what happens. We waste away. Some of these things are brought on by things that we have done, choices we've made. Others are brought on by things that other people have done to us, choices that they have made that we were not able to affect. Others are just part of the corruption of our genetics. 
That's just how it is. And we're dying. And the glory of the gospel, you guys, is that Jesus is not just interested in saving your soul. Jesus is also interested in saving your body as well. Redeeming your body, the one you look at every morning in the mirror, whether you like it or not. When he called you out of darkness into his glory, into his marvelous light, part of what he called was your physical body into that. And just like your soul is not perfected just yet, one day it will be. So to your body is not perfected yet, and one day it will be. That is what God has called us to. So if you are frustrated with your body for one reason or another, know that God has a plan for your body. And we see some of that plan back in 1 Corinthians 4, verse, uh, chapter 15. So let's look back there and let's unpack this a little bit. Now, let me just say that Paul starts off this little transition here a little bit punchy. And that's okay. It's okay to get a little bit punchy about the resurrection. It's good to be a little bit punchy about any of the major tenets of the faith. But he comes out kind of swinging here as he transitions. Notice he says, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, down in verse 35. But someone will ask, well, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body to be, but a bare kernel. And, and he goes on. And I don't know about you, but at first glance, that sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? Like the guy was just asking a question. I mean, why do you got to call him a, a fool here? Well, because not everybody is asking questions in good faith, are they? Sometimes they're asking questions to trap you. And that seems to be the case here. That all these people before who denied the reality of the future resurrection, it seems like some of their objection is, is wrapped up in these, in these two questions. So how are the dead raised, Paul? How's that going to happen? And with what kind of a body do they come? I remember when I was in Bible college, I had, a, I had a professor, and he had a kid one time come up, and he was really struggling with the resurrection. And the kid was like, well, what if, you know, so like my, my dad was, you know, had his arm shot off in Vietnam, so his arm is over there. And then he gets over here, and he has more complications, and they have to amputate his leg. And then they bury him over in this cemetery over here. Like, like how does God do that, right? He was asking in sincerity, like, how, how does God put all that back together? Listen. God can do whatever he wants. Like, this is not hard for God. Some people ask that question in insincerity to try to trap us. That sort of thing. In fact, you remember when Jesus was tested by the Sadducees about the resurrection? You remember that? When they come up, they didn't believe in a resurrection. But they're like, hey, you know, there's this woman. And she married a guy. And he died. But he had six brothers or seven brothers. Can't remember which. And they all kept dying. And so in the resurrection, who's, who's she going to be married to? Like, oh, gotcha. And Jesus is like, oh, not so fast. Because there is no marriage in the resurrection. And oh, by the way, even Moses attests to the resurrection back in Genesis. There's no gotcha here. A lot of people want gotchas. They're not asking out of the sincerity of their heart. They're trying to trap us or trap Jesus. And just as a side note, you do not have to answer insincere questions with sincerity and politeness. You don't. It's okay to call people fools and devils and sons of hell, actually. I'm not saying that should be the only tool in your evangelistic toolbox, okay? But that tool should be in the box somewhere. 
Jesus said those things. The apostles said those things. God said those things. Did you know that God called drunken Israelite women who oppressed people? He called them cows in the Old Testament. I don't care what generation you're in. That is not flattering. But you can look up Amos 4, verse 1, where God says, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. We're on the mountains of Samaria, and you oppress the poor, and you say to your husbands, Come and bring that we may drink. God doesn't have any, any tolerance for people who mock him. You mock God, God mocks you back. So when people are insulting core Christian doctrine, and especially those who claim to be Christians, it's actually okay to mock them. It's one of the reasons I like the Babylon Bee so much. It mocks people, and they deserve it. Now here's the cool thing. Pastorally, Paul actually goes on to answer the question. And I think that's good. What, what will our glorified bodies be like? We don't know 100%. A lot of these are by way of analogy. A lot of these are a little bit vague description, but we do know some things. First of all, there are going to be similarities and differences from our own body right now. Okay, There's similarities and there's differences. Look down at verse 37 and 38. Paul says, And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. So God gives us some similarities here. So what, what you're going to see is that, that, that a lot of these things are, are given to us by way of analogy. The analogy here is of a seed. When you plant a corn seed, it's not like this big massive corn seed rises up out of the ground, right? It's a corn plant. It's related to the seed. It has some of the similar structure of, of you know, I don't know if it has DNA or whatever it has, but, um, but, but there is some similarities. It's related, but it's also different. One thing to note about the plant analogy is that usually what comes at is more complex and it's more glorious, right? So, so you know, springtime, you go out and you, you put some flower seeds into the ground, right? These little brown balls and you put them into the dirt and you water them and a couple of weeks later, something much more complex looking than a little brown ball comes up and you wait a little bit longer, something more glorious than a little brown ball comes up. And I think that's true with our resurrected bodies. These lowly bodies go into the ground and they, they're there for a while until the resurrection. And one day they come back up and they are in glory. So our fleshly bodies are rather unimpressive in the grand scheme of things. The other thing that I think is, is good to note here is that just as God has sovereignly given you the exact body that you have right now, God will sovereignly give you the body you have in the resurrection. That's what he says in verse 38. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. So there's, there's a connection there, but there's a sovereignty aspect there as well. One thing that I think we need to say is that, that I believe that we're going to be able to recognize each other easily in glory. And I think we get hints of that throughout. You remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he reveals his glory? Where he's up there with two other people. You remember that? Who's he up there with? Elijah and Moses. How did the disciples know that? How, how, like, do they have name tags on the Mount of Transfiguration? Like, hi, I'm Moses or whoever, you know, fill it in. No, but, but somehow they knew that. Somehow they were identifiable. 
You remember when Saul went to the witch of Endor and she summoned up Samuel? How did, how did she know it was Samuel? Somehow she must have recognized him even in glory. So I think the same will be true in heaven. There's, there's enough that is the same about us that we will recognize ourselves and others, um, but there are some differences too. Now, the next section that we're going to look at here is, is kind of hard to understand. There's, there's a, lot of, a lot of differences of opinion on exactly what he's trying to, to, to get at here. I, I think Paul's point here is that there's just going to be differences between our earthly body and the body we have in the resurrection, number one. And number two, even our glorified bodies, we're going to have different levels of glory in heaven. Some will have more glory, some will have less. So, so take a look and see, see if you can kind of see what I, I see here. Verse 39, Paul says, For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. So that's one analogy. Number two, verse 40, there are heavenly bodies, which I take to be angelic spiritual beings, and there are earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. So that's a second analogy. Third analogy, verse 41, there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for stars differ for star differs from star in glory. And then he goes on. And that's not just there for no reason, but he goes on in verse 42 and he says, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. Okay, so whatever those analogies were, that's to help us understand what the resurrection body is like. Does that make sense? So he's not just riffing about random differing glories. He's trying to help us understand what is our resurrection bodies, what are our resurrection bodies going to be like. And so he gives us these examples of the created order. They have different amounts of glory. Humans are more glorious than fish. Don't know if you knew that, but they are. They're, there's more glory. And it seems like angelic beings are more glorious than, than humans as well. And we see that, that in, in other places in scripture that, that it seems like there's going to be different levels of glory in heaven. We get hints of this. We don't have it laid out super clear. This is about as clear as there is. I want to show you one other place where we get some of this, um, turn a few pages to the right to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Remember, this section is about Paul calling us to have the same mind that is in Christ Jesus. Right? So we're to follow his path. And we usually talk about the, the deity of Christ here and his humiliation in the gospel. And those are, all, those are all things. But I want to specifically home in on our bodies. But he says in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or clung onto, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, that means he had a body. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, so we have... Christ, who is God, he's humbled in, in human form, 
and, and he's crucified, and then he's raised in glory because of what he has done. If you look back again in verse 5, Paul says, have this exact same mind. Do this. Well, what did Jesus get when he humbled himself? He got super glorified is really what it says. Super exalted. And he says, you two have this same mind. What, just to be, just to be humble? Well, yes, but I think also to be glorified. Not to the extent of Jesus. Well, not God. He's God. But we too will be elevated. Because of Jesus' humility, he was super exalted above all people. Revelation 22 talks about Jesus' coming with our recompense, our reward. 2 Corinthians 5 says, We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due, whether good or evil. So if you take these verses throughout the Bible about rewards for faithful service, not rewards in order to earn salvation, but rewards of those who are saved, trying to please God and bring him glory, it seems like maybe we can connect some dots back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where what Paul seems to be saying is that there will be differences of glorified bodies even within heaven. So within God's creation, there are these different glories. And so it seems like in the new creation, there are going to be different glories as well. Take a look at verse 40. Paul says there are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. So, so if you take into account all of creation, the, the angels, the principalities, the powers, all of these things that we can't even see, and humanity, there's different levels of glory. In fact, you remember, you remember John who saw Jesus face to face, even saw him glorified two times in the book of Revelation. He sees an angel in glory. And you remember what he wants to do when he sees the angel in glory? He wants to bow down and worship the angel because of how much glory just an angel has. This is an apostle John. Like he knows truth, but he's tempted to worship. So there's a difference in glory that the angels and spiritual beings have than what we have. And we can even look up in our own sky and see that there are differences of glory. The sun has the most glory. The moon has a reflected glory. And then stars have a, lot, a little glory. And even between the stars, there's some that have more glory than others. And that's when Paul says in verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. There's differences of glory now, and there's differences of glory in the future, in the resurrection so our body will have these differences in glory. He gives us four contrasts from our current bodies and our resurrection bodies. There's perishable to the imperishable. There's dishonor to honor. There's weakness to power. And there's natural to spiritual. Look at verse 42. Paul says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, and what he means by that is when your body goes into the grave, that's the sowing that happens, what is sown when you go into the grave is perishable. And what is raised up at the resurrection is imperishable. So that's the first contrast. Perishable to imperishable. What is perishable? What does that mean? It, it just means we break down and die. That, that, that's what it means. It's, it's that idea of, of corruption. Remember like 10 years ago when composting was like all the rage? Like, it's still kind of the rage in some places, but, but composting was all the rage. Like, what you were trying to do was take your dead banana peel and, you know, your, your lettuce or whatever, and you, you know, put it in this rotating bin and you just break it back down into dirt. Like, like that's all you 
did, the idea of break it back down. In fact, did you know that Washington State was the first state in the union to make body composting legal? This, this is a real deal. They, rather than having a proper burial or even cremation, you can actually have your body laid out somewhere, and after 90 days, they'll scrape it back up to you, and they will send it to you. This is from returnhome.com. This is what it says. After, after the, their composting is complete, your loved one is now ready to return home in the form of a life-giving soil. We are able to package any amount for pickup at our facility or ship smaller amounts via USPS. You can have your dead loved ones composted and returned back to you. They are perishable. Our bodies are perishable. Why is that a bad idea? Because our bodies, even in death, you guys, should be honored. This is why in the Old Testament, if you came across a grave, you were unclean. It's not that it was bad or it tainted you or something, but there's an honor that goes with bodies. And God understands that we should honor bodies. But perishable does mean that we die. We get old. We get wrinkles. We get backaches. We can barely move, and then we die. And that's what happens. That's what goes into the ground. Our glorified bodies won't do that. There's no breakdown process. People ask, well, how, how old are we going to be, like, in heaven? Are we going to be, like, like, 25? Is that, like, peak humanity? Is it 30? You know, what is it? I have no idea. I have no idea at all. Will there be little kids in heaven? I have no idea. Are, they're, they're no less human than we are. I don't know what the age of appearance will be in heaven. But our glorified bodies won't break down. Our skin won't get thin. Our bones won't get frail. We won't get cataracts or, or thinning hairlines. Our bodies will self-perpetuate forever, just like Adam and Eve's body would have self-perpetuated forever. He also says we go from dishonor to honor in verse 43. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. And this seems to contrast the physical states of our body. It seems as though our, our bodies will have some sort of shininess to them. We have no shininess now. But we will have a, a shininess. Or I think some of your translations say it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. And this is what we mean by the glorified state. If you look in Revelation 1, you see Jesus on full display, in full glory. His sun shine, or his face shining like the sun. There's a radiance about him. And we see that in other places as well. In Daniel chapter 12, when Daniel is talking about the resurrection of the bodies, he says that our bodies will be raised and they will shine like the brightness of the sky above and like the stars forever and ever. There will be some radiance of light, some brightness of glory. In Matthew 13, 43, Jesus says, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So, so there is a brightness. There is a glory that comes off of our bodies. Remember when Moses went up on the mountain to meet with God? And he was in the presence of God and he comes down and he's like freaking out. Everybody at the base of the mountain. You remember why? Because his face was shining it was a, it, it, like, like I, I think of sunburn. It's not a sunburn. It's, it's, he's radiating back the glory of God somehow. And they made him wear a veil. They're like, dude, you're, you're just too much to look at. I can't look at you. Wear a veil over your face so it doesn't freak me out. Like, that's what they had. He, he wasn't intrinsically shiny. He was reflecting shininess that was put onto him. I think in heaven, we will actually have an intrinsic glory that shines out from us. Why shiny? 
And I think it's because we're holy. Remember Isaiah's vision in Isaiah chapter 6? He sees God, and it's so overwhelming, and it's so bright, and it's so glory, glorious. And what are the angels, the seraphim, that fly around the throne singing? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we're going to have that same holiness when we're in heaven. Part of the curse is that we're weak. And that's what Paul gets to in verse 43. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. We get tired. Our arms break. Our hips break. Our legs break. Our muscles break down. Body parts breaks down. Proverbs says it is the glory of young men is in their strength. But the glory of old men is in their gray hair. Why? Because the strength goes away. And that gray hair is supposed to approximate something like wisdom. But you're just not as strong as you once were. And this is, this is one of the cruelest aspects of getting old, is you just can't do what you used to be able to do. You don't have the strength to do it. You can't keep up. And at some point, you won't even be able to get up. You can't keep going. Stamina goes down. Things break easily. In our resurrected bodies, we are raised in power. We will have endurance. We will have stamina to do all the things that we want to do. And specifically, we'll spend all eternity laboring for God. Paul says we go from natural to spiritual. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body and it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. This is an unusual phrase because at first it almost seems like we won't have a physical body. We'll be like these ghosty spirits. That's often what we think of when we hear spiritual. Adam's body was natural, but our body will be spiritual. So, so it's not really the case. We will have a physical body, and that physical body will be made up of whatever the stuff is that, that our current body is made up. But these bodies right now that we're in, you guys, it doesn't work in the new heavens and the new earth. We can't endure the new heavens and new earth. Just imagine, you know, if we could, you know, get a ride from SpaceX and go to Mars or the moon. We're like, hey, we're just going to go and we're just going to live on the moon. Well, where's your spacesuit? Oh, I don't need one. I'm good. Well, your body is not fashioned for the moon or Mars. Like, like you're going to need something to protect yourself there, right? Well, the same thing is true in the new heavens and new earth. Our bodies right now are not fashioned for the new heavens and new earth. We would die there with these bodies. We need spirit-empowered bodies in order to endure in the new heavens and the new earth. And we'll see more about that as the chapter goes on. Well, listen, I want to encourage you guys, the body that you have right now, it's just a temporary thing. We're called to be good stewards of it. We are a temple of the Spirit of God. But know that one day God will raise your broken body to power. He'll raise it to glory. He'll raise it to honor. And it will be raised imperishable for his glory forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these truths. And I pray for, for really everyone in here who is suffering from one ailment or another. That you would give them grace and perseverance and joy in the meantime. And more than that, that you would put within them, deep within them, hope and trust. Knowing that one day their perishable body will be gone and they will be glorified in joy with you forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.